This is IA Forward, your playbook for success as an independent insurance agent. Here to help you knock it out of the ballpark are your hosts, Shane Tatum and Tanya Lead. Welcome to IA Forward. Let's play a game today. Let's play Ask Shane. You know how much I love games. <laughs> so Ask Shane, so this is like put Shane in the hot seat, that type of thing. Yeah, absolutely. You're the expert in the industry. You've, you've done this for, I can't say almost three decades, so we'll say this over two decades, right? That's better. Let's not go to the almost three yet. Let's just stick with the two. I like that. <laughs> Maybe we just hang out there. There we go. Right? Okay. I had a mentor years ago tell me that. I was doing a write-up about her for a, a local newspaper, and I put that she had over 40 years experience. And she was like, no, ma'am, you put that I have over 20 years experience. You never put that you have over 40. No, I completely understand that. There is a point of diminishing return here. Like you don't need to go past this certain level of experience publicly because that's enough. And then you go too far and it actually has this degrading effect. Oh gosh, he's too old. Oh, how could they possibly be in touch? Completely understand that. We've been watching The Crown. I don't know why we are watching The Crown. I love it. It's one of my favorites. I know. I don't know, but we are and I keep watching it. And now we're into season five, total side conversation here, but, you know, Charles has never looked that handsome in his entire life. That is not Charles. Charles has never been a handsome dude. I know. Bless his heart. He's got the face for radio. I love that you're watching The Crown. This makes me so happy. The Crown is my go-to thing to watch on airplanes for some reason. I'm watching with my wife. Let's put it that way. So, Daniel refuses to watch it, so I'm going to have to come (laughs) back to him and say, well, you know, Shane watches it with Julie. This is a great ammunition for me. They went through this whole deal of Queen Victoria syndrome where they just stay there too long. I don't want to have the Queen Victoria syndrome as the insurance industry guy. I think that's something that I want to make sure that there's connection and relevancy and connectedness. And I think the minute that I feel like that's happening, it's time to move out of the way. I don't feel like I'm there. I feel like I'm still connected and trying to stay connected. But I think the two decade thing is good. I think we stay there, even if we're celebrating one day, the 20th anniversary of our second decade. Let's put it that way. Let's not keep going into the third, fourth decade comment. Yes, sir. (laughs) So our first question for Ask Shane is, can you give me guidance on making an offer to buy an agency that is not for sale? Ooh, that's a good one. We get really, really caught up in what we pay or how we go about this in acquisitions. And this is actually one of my favorites because really and truly, there's a deal in everything. And I have generally paid what people asked. I just made sure that it worked on the number side. I made the deal. Somebody asked two and a half times book. Okay, I'll give you two and a half times book, but here's how I'm going to do it. I'll give you this much and I need this much payout and earn out or whatever. I think it's a little different when you're trying to approach someone with this interest in buying them, but they don't even know if they would be interested in selling. The thing is, is I learned a long time ago, be careful what you say. You might end up selling or buying. You have to know if you really, really want this, you may actually pay a premium for it because you're coming from a buy side seller market environment. Because if that agency is not for sale publicly, actually the best time to buy it, by the way, it's not for sale. They don't know they're for sale. You may end up 
going into a little bit of a premium level pricing. But what you have to think about is, are you really going to overpay? Because I think that's the heart of that question. Well, how do I go about making the offer or bringing that up? Well, you have to have a starting point somewhere. Most agency owners know a range of the market and you just have to say, hey, I'm very interested in your agency. I think we get hung up on saying things that's going to make the price go up, but you can't avoid that in that situation. If it's a good deal for you because it's a market strategic buy, there's so many variables to that question that the reality of it is, is there's no way to go about that without creating somewhat of an environment of a premium above. You're not going to get that agency at a discount. So let go of that. Fantastic. Okay. Next question. I am so tired of people not opening emails or snail mail and then having them call and yell at me when they get canceled. Do I cry, drink, or go for a run? That's more of a gripe than a question. This is a venting type environment here. First of all, what you can do is you can require your customers to go on recurring credit card or recurring EFT. And yes, I said it. You can require that. You can tell them this is what you can do for them because you're not going to chase them anymore for cancellations. And I'm going to turn that around and say, if you're managing billing problems for your clients, then you need to fire that client and move on to a different client. The strange thing for me is I never knew that there was an option besides EFT with my insurance. I've had car insurance since I was 15 years old. I've paid for my own car insurance since I was 20. And when I got my insurance, my insurance agent said, I need your credit card or your debit card or your EFT information in order to pay the bill. And I never even knew that there was any other option. If you're being a banker for your clients, quit. You're not a banker. If you're managing their payment structure, I don't want to hear things like, um, this is a little blunt, but I don't want to hear, well, this is commercial and it's excess and surplus and premium finance company, you know, they don't want to do the EFT because it's a premium finance deal. And I'm like, no, BS. I'm calling BS on that. If you have a premium finance company that you're working for and they don't offer EFT, then find another premium finance company because our premium finance company offers EFT and every other premium finance company that I've worked with in the last five to eight years offers EFT. And so I can just go down the list of excuses. What it is, is that we are scared of losing that client. We are allowing the tail to wag the dog because we are so worried about losing an account or losing a policy. And you may be chasing your own tail because it's the wrong client. Billing problems, they just burn me up. We are an insurance business. We are risk transfer. We are risk managers. We are not billing slash bankers. That is not what we do. Okay. Next question. Did I say I was going to be blunt about this? Yes. Yes. And I love it. I love it. You're not one that puts frosting on things very much anyway. So this is fun. I like this. You're going to put me in the hot seat. I'm going to be blunt about it, right? There you go. Okay. I have just started taking my CIC. Can you provide any advice on taking the exams and how do I use it to promote my business? First of all, congratulations. The National Alliance is a fantastic educational organization. The CIC is an incredibly difficult and challenging designation to get. I would put CIC and CPCU in the same categories for me to 
different kind of things. But agency, producers, owners, definitely highly recommend the CIC. So first of all, congratulations that you're doing this. It's like a lot of other things. I don't know the educational background of this individual that's asking this question. But if you went to college, you understand that class matters, that paying very close attention to what they're talking about in the lecture matters. The CIC courses, at least in the physical nature, I prefer the person-to-person, the in-class version, because what they are going to test on, there's an educational consultant in the back of the room taking his or her own notes based on the lecture. And what they're going to talk about is what they are going to test on. And so if you are paying really really close attention. Don't daydream. Stay off your phone. Tell work that you're out. You're completely disconnected for two and a half days that you're going to be in class. Make sure that you're zoned in and pay really close attention during the day, during the lectures, during the sessions. And then when you get back to your hotel room, don't go to the bar. Don't go hang out with everybody else. Go to your room. If you need to get a bite to eat or if you need to wait, fine. But I'm giving you very specifics here. Go to your room, rewrite your notes from that day. Organize them, rewrite them, because rewriting those notes a second time is going to help you with your memory. Then take a break, get something to eat, come back and study, and then go to bed, get sleep, and then repeat that process. What we do is they give you these big books. They're sort of like textbooks, and you worry about the complete textbook is what most people do. What you need to be worried about is what they're talking about, because they're generally not not going to test over what they don't talk about because the test is being written during the course in the back of the room. That's the biggest tip I can give you. Secondly, if you can do that, you're going to get a certificate, post that certificate on LinkedIn, on social media. Once you complete the course, whether you pass the test or not, the first try, you took the course, you educated yourself, you promoted. It's something you can promote. Certainly, once you pass a test, promote that as well. And then lastly, once you achieve your designation and you become a CIC, make sure that even though I'm not a big alphabet behind your name, make sure that's on everything. Make sure that you promote that you are now a certified insurance counselor. Remember, your customer doesn't know what CIC means. So spell it out. Certified insurance counselor. Put it below your name. Do something that they understand. They will understand certified insurance counselor. They do not understand CIC. CIC. CIC is not at the level of CPA. Everybody knows what a CPA is. You don't have to say certified public accountant. But with insurance, we don't have that type of marketing behind us. You got to spell it out. Certified insurance counselor. Here's a fun one. When a customer calls and is nasty, what do I say when they ask, why did my rate go up? Are these real questions from real people? These are real questions from real people. Be nasty back. No, I'm kidding. That's a joke. Don't do that. One of the things that I tell people, I hope that people hear me say this, I tell our staff, some people are just nasty. You can't help those. You can't help people that are just turds. All right. Um, (laughs) I love killing them with niceness. I love the love on them anyway approach, rising above that. And I also think with that in mind that you have to keep a couple of things in mind here. They're probably 
mad about other things in their life and they're probably having other problems and you just caught them at the wrong time. That happens a lot more than you think it would. The other thing is that rise above it, being really good at diffusing, don't take that personal and have a limit. And I tell this to my staff, look, people that are just coming at, cussing at you, belittling you, no, that's not your client. I don't need that client. I tell our people, we're not going to put up with that. If you have that coming, you skip middle management, you skip our leadership team, you come straight to me, you let me know who that client is, and I want to talk to them. Because we don't need that in our life. The market's hard. I get all that. There's a lot of problems um, in the marketplace today. But you have to set a limit between what you are willing to accept as an agent, as simple gripe or complaint and someone crossing the line. And if it's you as an agent that's hearing this directly, you have to set that limit. And if it's you as a leader, owner, helping and supporting your staff, you have to be willing to set that limit for your staff because they don't need it. Also, your employees knowing that you've got their back, knowing that they can bring you in to back them up in this situation does something for morale that's just absolutely incredible especially in this hard market, because our account managers are on the front line and they're hearing these things every day. So knowing that you've got their back and you're willing to stand up for them really means a lot when it comes to that. So I love that. I love that piece of advice. This one has kind of a different feel to it. I currently have one employee and I am a high school cheer coach. Our girls are going to compete at national competition in two weeks. And my employee has a daughter on the squad. Do I completely shut down for the three days while we're gone? Do I send an email explaining this to my customers with instructions to contact the carrier directly? Do I try to find someone to man the phone for three days? Is there a service that I should hire to take care of my agency for three days? Please don't say I'm awful for doing this. I live at work and my business is my priority. I'm thinking that I'm going to lose some business, but this is a once in a lifetime shot for my girls. Again, I have to ask the question, am I being punked? Is this a real question? This is a real question. Okay, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. All right. No, I think this is a super valid question because we hear this one all the time from so many different people in so many different ways. Yes, yes. I know this one very, very well. It's three days. You're not going to lose customers. You may lose some opportunities at some new business if you have a panic buyer that has to have something done in two days or that day. No, I don't think for three days you have to hire a service. I don't think you have to do anything. I think you can say we are closed for a few days for vacation or we are a small agency. People are doing business with you because of who you are, probably because of the smallness of your nature and the fact that you take care of your clients. People are going to understand. I know, Tanya, you talk about this. You talk about tell people that you are not able to get to the phone over the next couple of days because you are at this event with your child or on vacation with your family, taking some time. You can do some things 
possibly in the evening to see if there's any major, major issues that need to be dealt with. I would see if that's an opportunity for you and your staff person to just check in in the evenings or check in early in the morning on emails, direct people to those emails, check voicemails. Um, If it's not the world is on fire, then return those calls when you get back. Answer those emails when you get back. Use auto reply to describe what you have going on. This is completely doable. I think three days is very easily doable. I've seen agents do this for a week. Take a whole vacation. The barbecue place across the street from our office shuts down for a week twice a year around Christmas and New Year's and around Memorial Day. They literally shut down for a week. They let everybody go on vacation. They take family vacations. Guess what? People are lined up at the door to get in when they get back. They're not mad at them. There is this opportunity for us to run our businesses in such a way that we take back the freedom we were after when we started them in the first place. That's where we need to speak on this. And this is what we need to think about. Plan ahead. Have a little runway time so that your people know you're going to be out on these days. And guess what? They'll either catch you before or catch you after. And I think any customer that says, I can't do business with someone who's going to be gone for three days, is it really your customer? I was a person for two decades that had the job where I couldn't go away for 24 hours without the world catching on fire. And I think that's one of the fantastic things about this industry is that we're able to put in that out of office and in that voicemail, hey, I'm gone to take our kids from our high school to nationals at Disney World. You're going to get so much more support by saying, hey, I'm doing something great for the kids in our community. I would be willing to bet big money that when you get back and you return those emails and you return those phone calls, that you're going to have customers that actually ask, hey, how did the girls do? Did they win? Did they have a good time? People love the fact that we're human beings. That's what makes us different than the British lizard, right? They're doing business with us because we're live and we're local and we're in the community. I think it's a great spot to kind of check yourself around the whole thought process. If I can't do this for three days, something's wrong. I don't mean you're not a great agent. That's not what I mean. You're probably an incredible agent. What I mean is you're thinking about this wrong. Take back your life. Take back your business and realize that you can plan for this. This is okay. You started this business probably. Yes, you probably wanted to make more money or have financial freedom, but you also wanted time freedom and work-life balance or effectiveness, as you would say, Miss Tanya. The things that you are after are the things I want you to come back and remember here. Okay, next question. I have a very distinct niche that I am thinking about focusing on, but to be successful, I would have to have a license in every state. Is there a service that options a one-stop shop to do this? Or is it too big of a pain in the butt to get a non-resident license for each individual state? 
No, not a pain in the butt. There are licensing services out there. We use an organization called Supportive Insurance Services or SIS. They do this across the country. What we do is we take care of our home state, Texas. We take care of our Texas stuff ourselves. Anything non-resident, any other state, both corporately and individually that we are required to do in that state in order to do business with them. We turn it over to Supportive. They take care of it for us. They charge us a fee, but it's well worth it. Now, what I will say is make sure as you are looking into this opportunity that if you are going to have to be licensed in 48 or 50 states, if it's also going to include Alaska and Hawaii, make sure that you understand the non-resident license fee structure, that you include that in your budget, because going out and getting a license across the country, it's going to cost you approximately $500 per state per year. Some states may be less, some states may be a little more, and that's including probably the licensing fee, roughly, that you're going to get charged from your licensing company. You just need to figure that in because that is, as I like to say in East Texas English, it's not nothing. It's $25,000 a year. It's something to consider if you're going to spend and make that investment. Is your niche opportunity going to bring you enough return that you can do that, that you're willing to do that? Because that's going to be an annual nut you're going to have to crack in order to retain all of those licenses across the country. What are your thoughts on non-compete clauses in employment contracts? They're probably worthless. They generally don't hold up in court. Non-piracy, non-solicitation. On the other hand, would be the thing that is something that has a little meat to it that will hold up in most cases. So if you're saying non-compete and you really mean non-piracy or non-solicitation, then that's just a terminology issue. Non-compete, basically, you can't be in the insurance business within a certain area. Nobody's going to really enforce that. It's going to be really, really hard to enforce that. You can't keep someone from their profession in most cases. I'm not an attorney, but that's just my own experience. Non-piracy, non-solicitation clauses, on the other hand, will work. The other side is, what's the context of that question? This is me sort of adding more to it that may not be relevant, but what is the situation? Are you trying to get around one? I don't advocate that. Honor your non-solicitation agreements. If you're trying to do something nasty to a former producer, take the high road. It never really works. Also, I, I don't have a lot of information about this, but I I know that right now the Federal Trade Commission is looking at a ban on the concept of the non-compete. And I think we're still in the comment period right now, or I think maybe even recently they've extended that or whatever. So that's one of those things that's ongoing that I think as employers and employees that to keep our eyes on on that and what that looks like in the weeks and months ahead. That makes sense. And I don't know anything about the legislation, really. Non-competes have never excited me one way or another because they've just never made sense and they've never really worked. That's probably a good thing to kill that kind of concept from clogging up our court systems and our lawsuit filing environments. Non-solicitation is a real thing and should be honored and enforced. Totally different. Going back to the idea of agency acquisition, how do you handle the notification of clients from an agency you are acquiring? Seven times seven, if you have biblical reference. 
difference. Any way you can, I would say as many ways as you can. No, I don't believe you dial everybody up and you do that. The way we have done it is both electronic mail, snail mail. We've notified those clients through that process pretty effectively. It depends on the book of business and if you have email addresses. Most of the time, making sure that phone numbers are connected in correctly, retaining those phone numbers so that those phone calls into the old agency are now coming into your people. There's some variables around, are you keeping that staff or are you rolling the book in and absorbing it into your existing staff? Changes things. Because if you're keeping the staff of the agency that you're acquiring and they're going to hear familiar voices when they call in or when they hear from people, then I think it's a lot smoother sailing. But if you are doing a roll-in where you are buying a book, rolling it in, and there's no one familiar going to be left for the clients, then I think you got to go a little more of an extra mile. And I might even set up a project to call each customer. Just reach out and take that effort up front. It's going to feel like a lot. It's a huge investment. I get it. But that one-time upfront investment is going to go a long ways with retention of that client base. This was really fun. I enjoyed this. Is that it? That's, That's it. That's all the questions we got? That's it. Man, cool. So we want to encourage you to ask questions. Reach out to us on our socials, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. We would love to hear from you. Love to answer your questions here on the podcast. I'm going to leave us today with this quote from Michael Jordan. I can accept failure. Everyone fails at something, but I cannot accept not trying again. Oh, that's a really good one. Attitude's a choice. Make a great one. Bye, y'all. Ready to get the ball rolling with your independent agency? Learn more at IntegraAgent.com. That's IntegraAgent.com. Thank you for joining us on IA Forward. Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now or learn more at IAForward.com.